Warning, this episode of Fade Five from Fans is chocked full of spoilers. You have been warned. One, two, three, four, five, let's go! to you from the plastic microphone studios deep in the heart of cajun country this is fave five from fans i'm your host jamie ray and i'd like to thank you for joining us we have got the show to end all shows or books for all of you out there in the podcast universe today i've invited back to the plastic microphone studios three-time guest and award winner jeremiah hall welcome back to the show so close, not quite Jeremiah Hall. Okay, Jeremiah that's all right. That's all. Jeremiah Hall is a uh, fullback in there. Oklahoma. So <laughs> he is a lifelong Oklahoman, even when he lived in Texas, and a lifelong lover and now author of right. books. He has uh, he well, uh, he lives in Oklahoma City with his wife, daughter, and a revolving cast of adult children who come through for holidays, meals, the occasional dog sitting, and, you know, if they just need to have their clothes done. Jaden Hall loves books, games, sports, movies, and television, traveling with his wife as they hike and cycle across this great nation, or s- small parts of it. Um, the idea for the Okie Book cast woke Jason up early one Saturday morning, and he's been chasing it ever since. I'm so excited to have you back. Welcome to the show, Jefferson. Okay, now wait a minute, because you said you were always going to guess just three. Well, I've already guessed Jeremiah. You fired out four. Right. Oh, but but I've already, yeah, I'm just going back to Jeremiah. So it's either Jaden, Jefferson, or Jason. Now, I want a couple of things here. And by the way, it really is just Jay for everybody who's listening and not sure what's going on here. Um, you don't have to make excuses for me. One, it's amazing that you haven't guessed Jamie yet in all oh. of the guesses that you've made. Well, that's that's the narcissist in me. <laughs> you don't want to share. The second thing I'll tell you is in your three guesses, you got it. <gasps> oh, my God. It's Jaden. It's not. Okay, I'm going to stick with Jefferson then. <laughs> yes! it's, actually, it's actually Jason, but only my mom in the state of Oklahoma call me that. So, so is it J-A-Y-S-E-N? No, 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 no. J-A-I-S-O-O-N? What is happening now? <laughs> J-A-S-O-N. And okay, it's just so... shorter and shorter. So now it's just J because I'm that lazy. So I'm just telling you now, there I've got like three more of them through the rest of this. So just roll <laughs> with it, okay? <laughs> I'm just here to play along. That's all I do. I'm so excited I finally won. <laughs> All right, Jay, so tell us, what has been happening this summer, sir? You've got some some big news that you've uh, you've you've come out with. Lay it on us again, sir. 
<laughs> well, the the big thing this summer is my book uh, that you mentioned, and, and thanks for talking about that. The uh, it's called God Help Me, I'm a Young Dad, uh, written for um, young men who have become fathers, and it's designed to just help them become the best dad that they can possibly be. So it's ten essentials uh, called ten essentials for becoming the dad your kids need. So we talk about things like gratitude and hope and faith and love and compassion and service and presence and all this stuff that we all intuitively know we need and our kids need. And it just provides some encouragement and some ideas about how to build those things into our lives, but also how to begin to build them into the lives of our kids. So it's been a ton of fun this summer. I've gotten to go a couple of different places to do book signings. I've gotten to talk to lots of people who've read the book. Um, a couple of churches gave it away on Father's Day, which was a lot of fun. Oh, to cool. Kind of see what happened there. Um, but what I've I've loved about the whole thing is just the way in which people are coming to me and saying, this is so encouraging. I read this chapter. It hit me in the right moment. Or some of the things you're talking about, I'm practicing with my kids. So every day now we're spending 60 seconds talking about what we're thankful for, or we're looking for ways with my four-year-old to serve the community, which is so much fun. Cause that really is the point is yeah. to encourage these young men and their families to, to, to be what God wants them to be in the world. And so it is, uh, it's been fun. It's been wildly encouraging. I am working on a second book uh, designed for college students because that's the world that I'm in. I, uh, work at a, a college and a couple of my kids are in college. So that's the next time around, uh, helping, helping those young people figure out how to navigate that life in a way that is, uh, is honoring to God and helping them be everything that they can be. So it's fun. I, uh, love, have loved writing forever, finally managed to get it all in one place into a book. And now I've got the bug and I don't know that I'm going to stop. That's awesome. So do you take a chapter in there to explain how Picard is a better captain than Kirk. <laughs> I I've not yet gotten to that one. I think okay. that's God help me. I'm a star Trek fan. But, so yeah. probably several down the road. It is, it is important because that is some things that, that we don't have conversations early enough with, with our children <laughs> about. And it, uh, you know, I'm not trying to say how you should do it or why you should pick Picard because he is the better captain. I'm just, just asking questions. That's all. <laughs> duly noted <laughs> so uh, where can people find in droves purchase your book because they're going to want a copy for themselves a copy for everybody absolutely no so it's on amazon uh you can just search god help me i'm a young dad don't search jay hall or jeremiah hall or whatever else jamie has said or not Yosemite. Yosemite, that's my favorite god yeah. help me, i'm a young dad uh, you'll be able to find it you can also uh, hit me up. I'm at Okie Bookcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and I love shipping out signed copies to folks. So if you want a signed copy, then hit me up there and I'll give you the details on how to do that. You can also find out more about the book and other things I'm working on at my writing website, which is jhallwriter.com, uh, or you can find out more about the Okie Bookcast podcast at okiebookcast.com. I think that's all of my commercials. Not to be confused with J. Hall, writer of wrongs. Which right, is a completely yeah. different, yeah. Okay, different. Website. I made that mistake. That completely. That's only for the knights. Where are we? And, exactly. So I am really excited about this episode. As I've, as I've already said before, so this episode is about book endings, and I'm I'm again. I said it at the beginning. I'm going to go ahead and say it now. I am giving away the ending to these books. So. When I tell you the name of it, if you haven't heard it, okay, then I'm going to ruin it for you. <laughs> now, 
I think Josemite is not going to do that, which is totally your privy. You're an author. You look at these things differently. I'm okay with that. Me, I'm spoiling it, y'all. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what happens at the end, but what I've done, because this does go against everything I am uh, as a person (laughs) who reviews books, who talks about books, who writes books. Um, (laughs) Evil Jamie. Um, So what I've done is I picked books that knowing the ending is not going to ruin the experience of reading it for you. Okay. So knowing what's coming will give you anticipation, but it shouldn't, diminish the experience of reading these books because they're all so fantastic yes okay mine will ruin it for you so um uh, let's see you've got some honorable mentions today which are you got what probably let's see you're up to 16 i think it was last time where are we today don't don't tempt me uh, i've only got two i've only got what? two. no two columns staying within the rules for once wow that is man, I'm impressed. I thank you. I'm a thank team you. player. You're a team player. I too have two honorable mentions. And of course, an honorable mention if you're new to the show, uh, welcome first of all. Um please sit down, get comfortable, enjoy yourself, whatever you like if you need a little mint julep to get it going. It's totally fine. We make no if you need like a I'm sorry, let's move on. An honorable mention, what may you be asking? How does that come on to a list of favorites? Well, it is either something that was so close, but the other five just kind of just squeaked it out so much that I give you an opportunity to mention. Or, and this comes up occasionally, it's so bad or well-known for being massively that you couldn't not mention it. So I don't have either of those for my honorable mentions. But before we get started, there is a book, and I'm going to challenge to see if you maybe pull this off your dome. Okay. Can, can you think of a book that should end somewhere else than where it actually ends? Um. So immediately, two books came to mind. Of course, two, not just one. But anyway, go ahead. That's how I do things. Um, and I, I hmm, I want to be careful here. There's a, a book fairly recent by a guy named Neil Stevenson called Termination Shock that right. the first hundred pages of the book is fast-paced and fun and great. And the next 600 pages, basically nothing happens. So, Whoa. <laughs> and yet I read every one of them just waiting for something to happen. <laughs> Uh, so apologies to Neil Stevenson fans. I will spoil the end of that one. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. After the airport, just shut it down. Um, so I wish that book had ended. I don't wish it had ended at page 100. I wish it had stayed in that same vein for a little while further and then then shut down. Gotcha. Uh, there's the other one that came to mind, I can't remember the name of it because I was so infuriated by the way it ended that I, <laughs> I think I actually threw the book across the room uh, when it finished. Um but it's by Kim Stanley Robinson, and I don't – gosh, I wish I remember which one it was. I blocked it out, I think. Um, That's sci-fi, right? Yeah, yeah. It was science fiction, and it was a standalone deal. Um, but it was one that lots of things happened, and it resolved, and then another thing happened that just didn't need to, and I was like, no, nope, I don't I don't like that. So yeah. 
Yes. So my choice is right there. It is. And again, I, I'm kind of a commercial reader in that a lot of the stuff that I read is by well-known people. I do deviate here and there, but um, by and large. So when the, the Stephen King book called The Cell came out, yep. have you read this book? Oh, yeah. Okay. So again, love Stephen King. Uh, his name may or may not pop up here. He is not necessarily known for being able to close the deal at the end of his books. No offense to Stephen King. I love him. He's a huge fan of the show. He writes in all the time with requests and I have, you know, I have to tell him I can't, you know, just put him in front of everybody else. But anyway, the book cell is an amazing idea in that a, a signal comes out across the cell phones and it basically turns people into living zombies rage and then sometimes if it wasn't that they weren't quite on the phone but they could hear it it kind of turned them half crazy and the book goes through pretty good pace and it's got some characters that are really really interesting and the 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 what are the guys called when it's like the books about them the hero the protagonist. protagonists thank you protagonists and so the protagonists are getting together toward the end to this massive tower, I think, which they feel that it's going to go. And then this whole thing happens. You're like, wow. And then there's like two or three chapters after that, that turn everything that you knew on its side and just out. So I will give this book to people because, you know, I'll go to bookstores and I'll find a copy for a dollar. And I really enjoyed those pages up to there. I will give it to them with a post-it note and that puts go no further or I am not to blame. Oh, wow. And I've given it like probably three times and I've had one person come back and say, I read the whole thing and I'm sorry. I was right. Huh? Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's kind of what got my mind started about this yeah. was that what books endings are you just like not a head scratcher but just like turn you on the edge and you're just like wow what a great summation what a great i didn't see this coming or even better is i should have seen this coming because the the author laid everything out in front of me which are my favorite books and movies yeah. which is why i don't generally like to talk about the village from M night Shalaman, but if you ask, I will. So that's what I've asked you. And that's what I have tasked Jay hall to do is to come up with five books that just have a fantastic ending. And I think we're ready to talk about your honorable mentions. And I'm going to ask why they didn't make your list. So if you feel comfortable, move a couple of shoes over, uh, whatever <laughs> you've got to do, you know, and I see the football there. So I'm sure it's still the stadium's going well um, and give us your honorable mentions. I will will add to what you said about, you know, ones that that the author either lays it out or it's surprise twist. There's also books that just bring things full circle in a way that you go, OK, that works, even if it's a surprise, even if it's a twist, whatever. But you you feel like you've been on this ride. And I think that's part of why the ones that frustrated me did you've been on this ride for so long. And then this thing happens that just makes no sense in the context of where you are sometimes for the sake of being twisty, sometimes for the sake of shock value, whatever. So I tried to pick books that 
that did that for me, that brought things full circle. So my first honorable mention is one that absolutely does this, uh, and it's Animal Farm by George Orwell. Never heard of it. Yeah, I bet. So Animal Farm, um, very, very quickly, is... You know, the basically it's an allegory for the communist re- communist revolution in Russia, right? The animals take over the farm, they run the humans out, everybody's going to be equal, and then suddenly the pigs begin to elevate themselves. Some animals, you know, all animals are created equal, and then it turns to all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. <laughs> and as we go through the process, you you see this circle coming back to the pigs becoming in the the barnyard what the humans were to start with. So the last line of Animal Farm, if I may, Orwell says, the creatures outside look from pig to man and from man to pig and from pig to man again, but already it was impossible to say which was which. And it's such a great statement and kind of picture of this, of what happened with lots of revolutions that we throw out the bad guys who are in charge because they're awful. And then eventually some people become those bad guys again because that's how power works. Right. So, you know, Orwell's talking about Marxism and he's talking about, you know, he doesn't name names. He was smart enough not to call the <laughs> Lenin and Trotsky, but but he's basically saying, you know, this this idea of revolution, you need to be careful what you wish for because you may end up back in the same place just with a whole new set of, of folks who are in charge. So I think it's a great example of you know, a fictionalized version of history that you can look at and go, no, I'm not talking about that. But he absolutely was. But that last line in the last scene does such a brilliant job of driving it home without just having to beat you over the head with what he's trying to say that it it almost made my list. And the only reason it didn't is because I don't have the love for this book that I do for some of the others I'm going to talk about. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I have uh, have read a book by that guy George, right? George, um, that was a great Van Halen song. <laughs> I I think it was called Panama. I'm not sure, but anyway, I I know the Orwell guy that you mean, and I just think that's a great pick. I really do. Thank you. Yeah, I would ask you yeah. if you had another one as equally good, because I will be sitting here judging you, probably not so silently. It's not as good, but I think it's broader. How's that? Okay. So I picked Yo a book. Mama's broader. <clears throat> Careful. Uh, I picked a book that was an exemplar of lots of books that have been written in the last 10 or 12 years or so. Uh, and it's Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. And the reason I chose it is because there is so much. Um, th- there have been so many books over the last decade or so that are all about the twist at the end. And so you get to, you go through all this stuff and you go through several hundred pages and this happens, this happens, this happens. And then there's a twist at the end. And sometimes it really, really works. And sometimes it really, really doesn't. And the w- reason I chose this one is it's a twist that really works. It's a twist that's not a million percent surprising, but it's also a twist that's done in a way that's a little bit creative. So this is the one book I'm going to spoil. So just get ready. Here it comes. What? Just one, just the one. In Where the Crawdads Sing, if it, it haven't seen the movie or you haven't read the book um very quickly there is a murder a young woman is accused of the murder they go to trial she is found to be not guilty the end of the book goes through you know fast forwards through her life she dies in her 60s and when she dies her partner the man that she's been with for decades finds a box and in the box are two things one is a poem 
explaining that she had done the murder and exactly what took place. So her confession and a piece of evidence that was missing from the scene that would have made it very obvious that she did it. So again, the twist is yes, she really did, but it's done in a way that's different. It doesn't beat you over the head. It doesn't. And you, you're kind of glad she got away with it because the guy wasn't a great guy and had done some really bad things. But it's it's a good picture. It's a great picture of when those twist endings are done well, right? And they're not cheap, or they're not easy, or they're not, you know, like we we're talking about, just out of the blue. Where did that come from? Yeah, that's awesome. So, have you seen the movie? I've not. I didn't read the book for a long time, but my daughter, my daughter-in-law said, "Dad, you have to read this. You have to read this. You have to read this." Yes, because I thought it was something different than what it was. Mm-hmm. You thought it was about a a group of four crawfish that tour the nation as a kind of a barbershop quartet. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I thought the same thing, man. I'm right there with you. Basically that thing you do, but with, with crawfish. Exactly. With crawfish. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But they, they said, no, trust me. It's not, it's not what you think. And it wasn't, it was, you know, far much more about the murder mystery and those kind of things than the relationship side of it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to name drop here. Oh, I actually know. So the character Mandy, from that book, who I think is one of her sisters, okay. maybe mistaken. I know the young lady who played her in the movie. Boom! Oh, right here from Lafayette. Rush with greatness. Yes, right. You know that's right. Hey, I even bought her Kane's chicken fingers a couple of weeks ago. Oh wow! So yeah, I'm just saying I got that going for me. No promotion for Kane's yet, though. <laughs> no, but if they want to, I will sell my soul. Well, those were two excellent choices, sir. I enjoy that. Thank you. What about you? What are your honorable mentions? So I have two books that I'm going to ruin. I mean, I have two books that I would like to talk about the endings of. The first being this excellent sci-fi novel from the late 60s, I believe, that tells the story of some two astronauts, a man, a male and a female astronaut, that come across a literal message in a bottle floating in space as they're out on a pleasure cruise in their spaceship and they open it up and it's the testimony of a man named Ulysses Meru who had written down the story and hoping that somebody like him would find it. So it takes place in the year 2,500 where this scientist had invented a rocket that could travel near the speed of light. And he and his friend and they fly out and they land on a star near what they think is Beetlejuice, I believe, 300 light years away. And when they get there, they find out that they have, in fact, landed on a planet where simians had risen up to take over the planet. And this was, of course, turned into a series of movies called Planet of the Apes. So everyone is really familiar with this movie and this set of movies and how it was, oh, it was really, you know, Earth all along. But if you read the book, when you get to the end and you have the same Marky Mark version that the Tim Burton movie did, which is really great, it ends with him landing back on Earth, but now there are apes there in modern times. But in the book, when you get to the end, Jen and Phyllis, the two people from the beginning of the book who are talking about it, laugh about it, saying that there's no way a human could have intelligence to write such a story. 
<laughs> and you find out they are simians as well and fly off in their spaceship. I just, that takes it to a whole nother level. I mean, you think you've got this major surprise and this twist, which you do, that it's really earth and it's, you know, it's, it's, we, we've gone and devolved ourselves or so we thought into all of this. And then you find out, no, it is really earth. And then you find out that the two people who they're very clever to not describe are in fact space apes. And there you go. So it was written by Pierre Boulet, Boulet, uh, a French author, and I believe he did call it Planet of the Apes. Uh, so anyway, have you ever read that one? I've I've not read that one, but I love, I, I knew the ending. I knew what happened there because I really am a fan of the films. I love that version of just flipping things on its head, literally at the last second of a book. You know, that's, that's so Twilight Zone, right? I yes. mean, it's so like... This is what you thought was going on and what you thought was going on was still going on, but the context is 180 different than what you thought it was. So right. it's a great pick. I love that. Love that series and and love that uh, that kind of effort towards the end of a book. Yeah. Okay. Well, then maybe you'll like this one as well because I am a huge retro sci-fi fan. I love the books from the 50s and the 60s who tell about our future in the 80s or, oh, yeah. or whatnot. So I am a big fan of Robert Heinlein, Robert A. Heinlein, if you want to. And he, of course, wrote Starship Troopers and the Puppet Masters and all these things. So he writes a book called I Will Fear No Evil. Are you familiar with this one? Not read this one. Okay. So this place, this takes place in the early 21st century. Against the background of an overpopulated Earth, uh, it's dysfunctional, it's violent. There is this billionaire, Johann Sebastian Bach Smith, which <laughs> sounds like a billionaire from Arkansas, but nothing wrong with that. He is being kept alive through all this medical support, and he's going to have a brain transplant into a new body. And he's offered uh, this huge sum to donate to anybody's family where they have a youthful body for him to be transport transplanted into. He forgets pretty much to say that he's looking for a youthful male body. And what happens is his beautiful young secretary, Eunice is killed and he is transplanted into her body. So he wakes up and figures out what's going on to him. And so he changes his name from Johan to Yo-An to replace the name of the book. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes it all so close. Yeah. Then he finds out that even though his brain is in a new body, that Eunice is still in the body with him. So cool. he starts having these conversations. And so it gives you all of this stuff about, uh, you know, male, female relationships and how as an older man, you know, an old white man like, you know, me um, has thoughts about other stuff and how he's wrong and how it, you know, happens and all this stuff. So anyway, it's a, it's a great it's a great book. And of course, a lot of Heinlein stuff uh, ties into each other. And so at the end of the book, he has been or she they have been married. And then the person who they married, a lawyer, has a freak aneurysm and dies and so 
his personality then gets saved into Eunice slash Johan's. So now all three of them are in his head. Okay. Like a thruple. And they, she decides to go to the moon where she finds out that she's pregnant from Jake who just died. And then when she's having the baby, here we go. Spoiler alert. She dies during childbirth, but then all of the personalities are now inside with the newborn child. So it goes on and on. And I just thought that was like, I mean, you know, you think you're bringing these things together and they're going to tie up and she's going to go to the moon and she's going to have this new baby and, you know, they're all going to live happily ever after. And they kind of do, but not in all the way that you thought it was going to happen. So anyway, love this book. It's one of those big, thick paperback novels too. And I can remember reading it in the, the mid eighties. And just having my, I mean, I was reading all of his stuff too at the time and just, just it blowing my mind. And when I thought of this list, this is the one that had to come up. So I will fear no evil by Robert A. Heinlein. I am such a huge fan. In fact, I'm going to talk about a book from that era. Um, oh, please do. But one of the things I just, I love, and this, I love about science fiction, speculative fiction in general is the ability to talk about things like gender politics in a way that is not uh, oppressive, it's not beating you over the head with a, a, a view of the world, it's just talking about it, but doing it in a fictional way, in a fictional context, that you, it almost sneaks up on you, right? Yeah. And if you know what you're reading, if you if you know who you're reading, then you kind of have an idea it's coming. But the opportunity for that to, to be presented in a way that is maybe more palatable to somebody who wouldn't read a nonfiction book about gender politics, but who has to walk away from a book like this thinking about that. I love it. Um, and one of the things that Heinlein and all these others were so good at was this little thing at the end that isn't what you expect, mm-hmm. but is, again, perfectly in keeping with what's going on and opens the door. Yes, it, it other- doesn't necessarily end. It, it opens the door to be able to move forward. And I think for a lot of them, a lot of this comes from the way that they wrote because so much of what they were writing was being serialized in magazines and yes, things like that. And so they weren't writing novels, they were writing stories. And so they always kept the door open because if somebody wanted more of that story, they could write something for the next issue. And so many of his books did exactly that. Yeah. Uh, I've actually been working on a chronological history of all of his books and characters. Uh, hopefully I'm going to be going on uh, on someone else's show soon. And when I finally sat down to, it's like, oh my God, this tapestry that he wove, yeah. even reading them, I didn't realize that he had laid so much of this stuff into him. Yeah. Uh, what what book were you reading at that, that made you think this type of, from that same period? Well, the one that I'm going to talk about, I'll talk about. Here oh, oh, okay. The one you're going to talk about. All right. It's, it's all my I books. got you. I got you. Okay. But so I'm, many kind of kind of slow here. Mm-hmm. They did. Okay. Well then, if I think I'm ready, if you're ready, why don't we go ahead and start with your number five? I am ready. Okay. So my number five, this won't surprise you, is a bit of a cheat because it's not the end of a book. It is the end of a book, but it's a book at the end of a series. Uh, and it is the end of a oh. comic. No, here we go. It's the end of a comic series. Okay. Which uh, we said was allowed. Yes, we did. We opened all the doors for this. So uh, the last issue of The Walking Dead 
which mm-hmm. is a series that I loved from the jump. And we've talked about this. I am a sucker for the end of the world. I love zombie stuff probably more than I should, but I do. <laughs> so I love the walking dead. And, you know, one of the challenges is always, can you land it? So when, when Kurtman said, this is the end, can you end it in a way that's going to be satisfactory? Um, and, and again, also that keeps the door open for not necessarily more books, but for these characters to continue on. Right. And you spent so much time, I mean, 193 issues with these people. You want them to continue, at least the ones that survive. You want them to be able to continue on. So uh, in issue 193 of The Walking Dead, it fast forwards 25 years from the last kind of major battle conflict that uh, was necessary to keep things going, where the world is a little more settled. Zombies are still around, but they're more of an annoyance than a constant threat. Technology is beginning to come back. So they have railroads, they have other things that aren't what they were before, but still beginning to, to emerge. So you begin to see civilization kind of reasserting itself and a degree of safety that exists. Oh, okay. Um, there is a conflict in the the story between the children of some of the major characters uh, from the the larger part of the comics, Carl and, and Herschel, who's Maggie's Maggie and Glenn's son. But what I love about this book is the very end, the last few pages, after all the conflicts kind of wrapped up, Carl comes home and he's sitting down with his daughter and he opens up this book that is a story of what his dad, Rick Grimes, kind of the the central figure in all this, what his dad and his friends did to eventually make the world safe. Oh, wow. So he's reading about these stories and he's kind of talking about what happened. And as he's reading over it are panels of all of these people that you've seen and known throughout the series and kind of where they are now. So you see awesome. you know, couples that are set up together and you see children who've grown up and have gotten married and you see, um, you know, Michonne is one of the major judges now for the, 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 the world as it exists. You see Eugene, if these names are meaningful, yes. um, you know, working on technology and doing what he was kind of born to do. Does it show what Glenn's doing? <laughs> Glenn at that point would 25 years in was mostly just dust. Um, oh, huh? Yeah. Well, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, that's issue 100. And you, and you ruined the show for me too. Thank you. Please go ahead. So much great stuff there. Um, but what I love is the, the demonstration that after all of the horrific things that these people have had to endure and all the things that they had to both get through and do in order to make the world safe, you see that there's hope that good is possible, um, that their lives can can be restored to some sense of normalcy in a very unnormal world. Right. It also, again, shows that they're going to keep going, that mm-hmm. the end wasn't the end for them, that there's more life and there's more life to be had. And I just it felt like after all the horrific things that they had done to these people for one hundred ninety three issues <laughs> for there to be an ending where. um where there's some resolution, there's some hope really uh, brought a sense of emotion to this thing that you don't always think about with zombie fiction of any kind. Um, And there's some emotional moments all the way through the series, but I really think the emotional high point is those last few panels where you're seeing these people that you've walked with and cared about for so long, having the lives that you really kind of always hoped they had. Right. That's awesome. I have not finished the series. I think I stopped somewhere after Glenn bites it. And I pretty much stopped the same place in the 
the TV series as well. Yeah. So I do need to go back and finish those, but that's, uh, that's great for ruining it for me. So I'll just probably never, yeah, never go back. Thanks. Appreciate that. So nice. You're the one that said it was okay. <laughs> I lied. Okay. I lied. <laughs> I think it was going to affect you. Exactly. Now I don't want it. <laughs> All right. What's your number five? So my number five is uh, also by what would could could possibly be considered a retro science fiction guy. He's written some of the great novels that were turned into movies. Um, the Box, um, uh, The Incredible Shrinking Man. But I would like to talk about I Am Legend by mm -hmm. Richard Matheson. Yeah. So you have to watch all three movies to really get the entire story of what is in this book. I think that probably Vincent Price is the last man on earth does the book the most justice. I agree with that. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Well then, then I think definitely that I am legend does the best job then. Cause you know, I would rather just stir up controversy. Just to stir up controversy. Now, so, the book, if you've seen any of the movies, you basically know that it's about a man uh, that is in a world where, for lack of a better terms, the majority of the people have turned into vampires. Now, they're not the normal, you know, can't they turn into bats or they turn, they're people who have a disease and they need blood to survive and the only way they feel like they're able to do it is to take it from other people and so you find that robert neville the, the the character that the book is about he's a very intelligent man and he also has a lot of guilt thinking that what he did as a scientist may have attributed to this plus the fact that he was unable to stop it before it got to it. So he does his best that he can to go around the city and grid by grid find these poor tor tor <clears throat> find these poor tor tortured souls ugh, and put it into their misery. Then he runs across a woman who seems to have been in some way saved from the disease, but also doesn't quite look like it. So he's following her. And anyway, long story, let's get to the end of the book. He ends up getting surrounded by all of these people. And they lay it on him that they're not bad people. They have a disease, but they have been working on their own cure and they have a, a shot that they can take that keeps them from going all vampire-ish. But you've been killing us over and over for months and months and months. And dude, you're the bad guy. You are the bad guy. You stopped trying to cure us and you just try to kill us. And you want to talk about an emotional sledgehammer. Yeah. I remember I was on the beach, which I hate the beach, but I was on the beach, small little book. I had read, um, I'd read the incredible shrieking man first. And then I brought this one and I got to the end of the book and I was like, holy crap. And just, just totally blew me away. Yeah. 
So you've you've read these then? Oh yeah. Oh this, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. There is a an incredible a graphic novel that's done in black and white that follows the book oh, very cool. closely. Yeah, even to the point where in the end when they're at that huge chapel and the big marble steps and everything. And it's, it's wonderful. Uh, but if you've never read it, of course, I've just ruined it for you. You should read. I am legend by Richard Matheson. It's another great example of those. You think, you know, what's going on. And then that twilight zone twist, I, I just, and it's not coincidental that all of that's happening at the same time. So those books are being written. Yes. Those have you know outer limits. The TV shows are, are doing something very similar, um, but again, not cheap. It it gets into the um, like it, it's just that perspective shift mm -hmm. that you know you talk all the time about. If you if you watch the show from the perspective of the bad guys, you would think that they're the good guys, and so it's always just about the perspective. And I don't know if there's a better example of that than that flip at the end of I Am Legend. Yeah. Yeah. All of this time you feel bad for him. He's the last man on earth. He's the Omega man, right? He's doing what he can to survive and to stop those people who are cursed now. And you find out I'm the bad guy all along, yeah. you know, just such a good book. Oh, such a good, end. great stuff. All right. Well then let's parry that with your number four favorite book ending. Going in a very different direction from the things we talked about so far. Okay. Uh, my number four is a book called Debt of Honor by Tom Clancy. I'm familiar with that. So I'm a big Tom Clancy fan, especially the Jack Ryan, the early Jack Ryan era. Uh, and this book is one of those. Um, very quickly, it's a pretty typical Clancy techno thriller. It's about an economic and military conflict between the United States and Japan that is ultimately resolved and the U.S. wins. Thanks to Jack Ryan and his colleagues and their genius and strategy and all of that. Also in the book is this subplot of the vice president of the United States having to resign because he's been accused of, of assault and other not good things. And so in all of this, the president names Jack Ryan as his new vice president. And that's important to the ending. So the book ends, the U.S. wins, question the flag, yes. Uh, and this is a, an honest question. Can he do that? I thought they had to take, like, Speaker of the House to make it vice president. This is a great question, and I don't know the answer. I'm, I'm not a political scientist. I'm a sociologist. So okay. I'm just going to say I'm that sorry. I hate to interrupt. I just That kind of threw me because in I Tom there was world, in his version of events, yes, that can happen. Kind of like it's his podcast. He can do what he wants. That's exactly his it. book. Okay. I'm sorry. Please. You can, spoil, you can spoil whatever you want. Whatever you want. Got it. So Ryan's being named the, he's going to become vice president at a joint session of Congress where he's going to be sworn in in front of all of Congress and all the cabinet and all the justices of the Supreme Court, everybody. A Japanese airline pilot who lost his brother and his son in the conflict decides that he's going to exact revenge himself on the United States by flying his airliner into the Capitol. What? This joint session of Congress and the cabinet and the president and, and ultimately wipes out almost everybody, which then opens the door for Jack Ryan to become president of the United States, which he does in executive orders and, and the books after that. 
here's the thing about this ending. Right. Because this is, again, the book is over. Yes. It's one of those where there's like, you know, these last two or three chapters and you go, oh, what are you doing? This was such an incredible departure for Tom Clancy because Tom Clancy of anybody was waving the flag, go America, you know, go Navy, Navy guy. The good guys always win. And for him to create this scenario where not, not just the U.S. lost, but I mean, they were devastated mm-hmm. in a very you know simple in a lot of ways action now it propelled his story forward and made some things you know happen later on but four things to happen in this way was such an incredible departure and i remember uh, you know so 1994 is when this book came out so i am a young 20 something um and i'm reading this and was shocked yeah. that he was willing to do it so it's interesting because the end of this book, such a departure, but the end of this book also ended the plans for a Jack Ryan film franchise that was already in the works and happening. So the sum of all fears, which is the book before debt of honor uh-huh. came out in 2002. It, the release was delayed because of nine 11. Yeah. And then they realized there was no way they could do oh. Debt of honor and end it. No, 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 no. So it shut down any conversation about Jack Ryan until we had a movie in the mid, like, 20 teens. And then, of course, the the TV show now that exists that is not based on any of the books. But, you know, Clancy's willingness to do this and just what it meant for um, a pretty successful movie franchise, what it meant for the book franchise. uh, And lots of people, you know, after 9-11 and Planes Flying into Towers, there was a real question about should this book be pulled off the shelves altogether because it was so close or or even the question of did the people who enacted 9-11 and planned it, did they read this and did he actually uh, give them the idea, which we can't get into all of that. But the no. just the the import and the impact of the ending of this book. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking about a random Tom Clancy book from the mid 90s. But something about this ending just and when we talked about this topic, it's mm-hmm. literally the first one that came to mind. Wow. Like, it was such a such a big deal and such a big moment yeah well that's amazing i didn't know that for of course first thing i think of is um designated survivor the key for sutherland right right you know um but just just so you know tomorrow at the water cooler when you know you're talking with all the professors and the muckety bucks and all of that stuff uh the 25th amendment section two actually does say that the president can i just remembered that as i was sitting here thinking yeah. I didn't see you just, typing at all. No, 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 no. And and amazingly enough, I happen to remember that on July 6th of 1965, the 89th Congress ratified it and that it was adopted like, ooh, I don't know, February 10th, 1967, maybe. And your memory is incredible. Uh, thank you. Yeah, It comes and goes, depending on my uh, Wi-Fi speed. That's and uh, <laughs> so that is that is amazing. And, and, and yes, we won't get into it, but. It's it's hard to take something that's been written like that, that's been out there, even if it was just for a couple of years, and then should we take it down? Right. You know that discussion that that's a tough discussion to have. It well, really it's is. such a conversation. I mean, don't don't get me started on Bookmans. I'm in Oklahoma. We lead the league. Yeah. Um, but that whole conversation about troublesome literature, troublesome fiction, troublesome writings at all, from mm-hmm. periods of time where what's being written. And now we're moving away from Tom Clancy and Dead of Honor a little bit. But what is written is reflective of 
that time period and right. should we or shouldn't we? And, you know, should schools expose kids to that and should it be available? And it's such a complicated conversation. Uh, and it's so easy to say, we're going to draw this line and that's it. But it's really not that easy. It's not. It's not. Books are supposed to make you feel uncomfortable at times. Yeah. 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 Make you think. But yeah, you're right. That's a conversation for another time that I would love to have with you at some point. Uh, but uh, anyway, that's enough for that. <clears throat> Moving on. Moving on. So I am also going to give a big departure from the books that I have. And I'm I'm sure that you're familiar with this. But this is The Art of Racing in the Rain by oh, Garth yeah. Stein. Okay. Yep. Way before the movie ever came out, my Uncle John with the beard, because I have my brother who's Uncle John in California. And then I have my uncle who is Uncle John with the beard, just to keep us straight when we talk with the girls. He used to work at uh, Poetry and Prose in Washington, D.C., uh, which was where they filmed, no, Politics and Prose, where they filmed the CNN stuff and everything. So he That's was, it. you know, he was big there. So he would send me books that were were popular at the time. And I got this book, and of course, it's about a dog. So I'm like, oh, what the hell? Then you start reading it. From the very first day, you find out that this is about the last day of an old ailing dog's life. And I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? Come on. <laughs> I'm already tearing up. Here we go. Ah, uh, uh, So I read this book. Let me rephrase that. I devoured this book over a matter of a couple of days. There were times I was reading it and my wife, she always falls asleep early. Um, I would wake her up from laughing at the book. <laughs> I would purposely not wake her up from crying a little bit from the book and did not have anything to do with the dog dying yet. This, the, the way that Stein crafted this book, you do not have a soul if it didn't speak to you. Yeah. And again, spoiler alert. And this is, I really mean that if you haven't seen this book, if you haven't read this book or seen this movie, you should stop and go do it now. But at the end of the book, the dog dies, which we knew was coming because he tells you it's the last day of his life. And there's all this other stuff about how he's preparing himself to move on, uh, you know, reincarnation. And this time he wants to come back as a person and he's ready. And so the epilogue takes place a few years down the road where his previous owner, Denny, who was a race car driver, hence the art of racing in the rain, goes to meet two people a father and a son and the son is just like a huge racing fan he's got all this knowledge and as they leave you find out that the boy's name is enzo which was the dog's name and it leaving you to wonder and be sure that the dog got his wish to be reincarnated as a human i remember closing that book and crying yeah just you and the emotion that it was of am I crying because I'm happy? Am I crying because I'm sad? Am I crying because I'm fulfilled? Am I lost? It's just very few books have ever affected me the way that this book did. And if it didn't have that ending, it would still be an incredible book. Okay. Because it would left you to think, oh, what's his next chapter like? But damn it, he puts it in there. And puts it right in front of you. And there's no way for you to think any other way than, oh, my God, that's Enzo as a, as a little kid. So. Oh, a little <laughs> clipped. Jamie's going to need a moment, so I will vamp while he's uh, getting himself back together here. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> I, 
I'm a sucker for dog for books about dogs. I've it's well documented. Um, I don't like sappy manipulative stuff, and the art of racing the rain doesn't do that, right? Correct. I mean, it's, it's telling a story. I love and hate books that make me feel like that at the end, right? Mm-hmm. That that moment of I just need to sit with this for a while. Um, whether it's because the ending is weighty or it's hopeful or it's uh, nostalgia, you know, whatever it is. Most of the time I finish a book, I close the book and I'm literally like looking for the next one. Uh, but books like that, that make you stop and just, I want to sit with this for a minute. I don't want to start the next one. I want to think about not just what I've read, but how I'm feeling. Yeah. Why am I feeling that way? And what was it about this? And from the perspective of an author and somebody who focuses a lot on books, what did the author do? that caused me to feel this, like what, what happened in that last turn, whatever it was that elicited the, the emotions that I've got now. Uh, Cause that's a gift. I mean, that's not a, Oh yeah. That happens so cheaply so often that when it happens effectively, you're like, okay, this guy's got it. Right. Cause so, some authors, they will, you'll, they'll start to lay that out and you're like, okay, I know what's coming now. And I know what's coming now. And with this one, Oh my God, it just, I, I, you it. know, you, there's another chapter and you're like, oh, well, it's going to be the burial and it's going to be whatever. No, <laughs> oh, such a good one. Such a good. Ending. Well, all right. So I can only one can only assume that your number three favorite must be even more of a gut punch. It so, actually is. It is. All right. Well, then give us your number three. Number three is for me is actually a gut punch from the very beginning of the book. And it never stops punching you in the gut. The Ooh. end of it time uh number three for me is the road by cormac mccarthy okay let's stop now i don't want to talk about this book (laughs) i do not no i'm not kidding i do not want to talk about this book i do not want to talk about this movie that guy is the devil (laughs) Uh, oh guy is a genius oh my god all right Cormac mccormick but but good good news is coming jamie i'm going to give you a spin on this that i i hope helps you a little bit so quick setup for the road, if you're not familiar with it, um, in the aftermath of some kind of apocalypse that is not named, we don't know what happened. A father and son who are also never named, it's just the man and the boy, are trying to navigate the world. Right. Uh, and it is a bleak, 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 bleak world. Um, two more bleaks. Two, yeah. Two, yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, this is a fantastic book, but just be beware. There are things in this book that are really, really difficult to read because uh, McCarthy is not afraid to put a mirror up to humanity and say, this is what we're capable of in, in our worst moments. And he does. He does. He, he goes ahead and shows that. So it's 200 pages of walking through this brutal landscape, trying to get to the coast. They do, they get to the beach and the father, uh, because he's been injured dies. And, and here's where the ending comes that, that shifts. And I want to talk a, a little bit about why I think this is different than what a lot of people think it is. Um, the father dies. The boy sits with his dead father for three days because he doesn't know what to do now. He's been following his dad. His dad's been his protector. His dad's been his guide. And at the end of those three days, a family comes up to him and invites him to join them. And he, he, talks to him are you one of the good guys do you carry the light and the father of the family says all the things he needs to say for the boy to feel comfortable 
leaving with this family, and we have no idea what happens after that. They eat him. <laughs> they don't. They do. A lot of a lot of people don't like the ending of the book for the very thing you're talking about, that there can't be anybody who wouldn't be planning to do very bad things with this child. I think this ending actually connects to what McCarthy has been setting up for the entire book, because as bleak and as awful as the world is, the father is telling the son constantly, we've got to carry the light, carry right. the fire, carry the fire. And this idea of carrying the fire is living life in a way that is morally responsible, that is doing the, the best you can with what you have. It's being good when you can be good in the hopes of finding other people who also carry the fire. And the son takes this in of the dad. He recognizes that the world's problematic, right? He's got a gun with two bullets in it, one for him and one for his son. Well, in the other order, if things get to that point, right, that, that he he is constantly planning about how to end their lives if the worst happens to them. Um, I'm sorry. I, I just love that you corrected the order. <laughs> it, it felt very complicated otherwise. Um, but, right. but it's all good. Well, it's over with. Um, but, but the dad is, you know, very wide eyed and realistic about what the world is, but the son has taken in this idea of carrying the fire to the extent that he forces his dad to share food with a guy. Right. It's the last thing you would do. And there's there's a thief that takes their cart and they catch up with him. And the dad takes everything from the thief, including his clothes. And the son says, you can't do that, dad. He's going to die. And the dad goes back and mm -hmm. leaves the guy's clothes in the road uh, that, that he can find him. So the son's been carrying the fire. Right. And he finds people who are also I mean, because it's not just the guy. It's a man and a wife and kids. And so it is a family that that take him in and so in the midst of all this bleakness and again i cannot stress enough how bleak this book is it ends in this picture of hope that i think they've been pointing to from the beginning because the reason they were going to the coast was to try to find people who were like them to try to find a place where they could be safe where they could connect and where they could begin to rebuild whatever kind of life they have and again we have no idea what happens after that but the son finds that Right. And so there's something, and again, that's one of those books that I closed it and I sat for a long time and just thought about how I felt about everything that had happened. Because it's one that I think I sat down in one sitting and, and read the whole thing, but especially what happened to that, that boy at the end and, and what it would mean for him and for others going forward. So yeah, the robot Cormac McCarthy, I can't recommend it enough if you can read that kind of book, but I would encourage you to read about it a little bit before you do. It it blows my mind that this was an Oprah's book club. Yeah. Pick. Yeah. I I just it it is so bleak that I j I mean I, I read horror all the time. Okay. And the barbecue scene haunts me yeah yeah it really does i mean i i have seen you know so many zombies pulling people apart and kids dying and and coming back and and all of these things but that scene just it it does it haunts me yeah and it goes back to the fact that this is one of those books where 
this guy is just relentless in his punishment of us as a reader. No, that's true. Okay. And I'm not, I mean, I, I, I joke about this book and this movie because it is, it is literally on something that I will never recommend to someone. Uh, I will say, oh, I read it and I, I survived the book is what it's I like to say. It, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it's excellently crafted. I mean, the fact that just the simple fact that the, the father, the, the boy and the man, those are the only two names that are yeah. given. It's, it's, it's an incredible book. And I remember the ending and I remember thinking, and I was joking earlier uh, that these are, you know, how it works out that these are, he's, he has found some people who carry the fire. Yeah. And they they will they will work out, but then there's that little part of me that's like, ooh, they're thinking barbecue. If not, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, doesn't work out. <laughs> well, and that's so much of the debate about it is, you've you've never like in all of the book you haven't met anybody who wasn't trying to enact the worst possible thing on everyone else around them. Right. So then suddenly they find these people at the end, but again. It can't be that the father and the son are the only people left who still have some semblance of of humanity, right? True. So it, it's not so far off the rails that they could find more. Uh, and and I think I, I really do think it's a let up for McCarthy, like a almost a reward for surviving with him all the way through. Oh, that that's a great way to put it. I've shown you the worst, but I want you to know there's hope at the end of this thing. That is an I've never thought of it that way. That's that's a great way. Bravo. You know, you should really consider, you know, talking more about books because you're really good at this. I'm just saying. I didn't know that this episode is going to be like six hours long because I won't stop. <laughs> All right. Well, you've got to stop long enough for me to give you my third. Okay. I'll give you okay. a minute. So I want to ask, have you ever heard of Joseph R. Garber? I've heard, but I don't. There's nothing coming immediately to mind. Okay. So, uh He's written a, a couple of books, two, maybe three books, but he died early. He died like in 2005. So the first book that he ever wrote is a book called Vertical Run. It came out in 1995. And I know sometimes the worst way of describing things is by comparing them to other things. <laughs> but if you can imagine uh die hard okay meets um i don't know okay forget all that <laughs> it's the book is about a guy named dave and he is an ex-vietnam vet who now works in a high-rise building and he shows up for work normal work he gets up he runs out he kisses his you know wife goodbye whatever and goes to work and as he's sitting there with his friend, who is like a vice president of the company or whatnot, he's fixing him coffee with his back to him. And the guy suddenly attacks him and tries to kill him. And you're like, what the hell? And it goes off the rails from them. The rest of the book is pretty much a shot by shot it's one of those real time. It's like a 24 hour book and his world just starts unraveling as, as he, he fights with the guy, the guy ends up getting scratched and bloodied and he freaks out and jumps out a window from the high rise. 
And so Dave is freaking out and he comes out into the, to, to, you know, he's got an office. So when he comes out into the big bull uh, bullpen. There are special ops guys who then try to take, take him down. They're shooting at him. They're doing all of this stuff. And he's just like, what the heck? So then it becomes a matter of, okay, he's got to do these things where he sets up booby traps. And at the same time, he's trying to figure out what is happening. And he works for this firm that he went to the biotech place and he got bit by a, a, a an ape. Okay. So did he get some disease and now they're trying to, and it's all of these things happen constantly. End of the book comes and Dave is dying. And he ends up figuring it all out, which we figure out along the way, which is, again, it was one of these things that was just laid out there for us. And we look up, we overlook it, but we found out it's really this. And he's, he's, you know, okay, well, he's only got, you know, three hours left to live. So he's dead. And then the last chapter of the book is kind of like an after action report from the company like a Blackwater type company, and they're talking about what happens. And then an addendum is you find out in in the report, you find out he's going up into the the wood the the hill countries of California and he'll probably die there. And then there's an addendum about the virus that it's been shown to go into a remission or whatever at altitudes past this amount. Oh wow. And so it's left there for you like, is he dead? You know, and then this this next book called Whirlwind comes out. And I'm like, oh my God, let's find out what happens. And you open it up and it's about the Blackwater company, but it has nothing to do with Dave. And you're like, son of a and then he dies a couple of years later. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. So funny story about this is I have a friend um who doesn't listen to the podcast. He's he, he's just not a podcast person, uh, big Paul. And I gave this book to Paul. And I'm like, dude, you've got to read this book. And he did. He finished it like over a weekend and he came back to me. He was so mad at me because it doesn't end. And oh my God, he gave, we worked together for years and he probably half a dozen times he'd tell people, yeah, but but don't ask this guy to let you have a book because he's going to give you the wrong book. That's incredible. But it's a great twist ending. And again, it's a fast read because it takes place in real time. Yeah. And uh, there's so many little little tricks and tricks. It would have made an incredible movie, but too many people would compare it to Die Hard because of the way it right. takes place. And he does the same things that, that Bruce Willis's character did. But uh, if you ever have an opportunity, pick it out. I got to give much love to my friend, Brian Perrin. Um, I lent my copy of it to him. And through a, a complete mistake, it ended up got getting some drinks spilled on it. And not only did my buddy replace it, he found me a signed copy. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yes. And I love, I, I love having books signed. Yeah. And so a uh, big shout out to Brian. Much love. He, we did some music episode before, so he's great. But uh, anyway, never heard of it. So not much, I guess. No, but I, I will say, I don't, I I'm a fan of ambiguous endings. Mm-hmm. Don't mind it. I don't mind not knowing. I get to kind of decide one way or the other. But I also know there are people that will throw those books across the room. Yes. And Paul was one of them. I don't <laughs> think he quite he threw my copy, but 
he metaphorically threw it. He was launching at something. Me. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I do like an ending like that, but I also don't like one when you don't have enough information to form your own opinion about right. what happens. Yeah. 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 So it's a fine line. It's a fine nope, line. I get that. Okay. Well, let's uh let's bounce back over to you and get your number two. So number two, you mentioned your love for 50, 60 science fiction authors. I am a nut for all of those books, all those authors that were written in the golden age. And my favorite is one that no one ever talks about. Um, his name is Clifford D. Cmac, And he was writing at the same, he started in the forties. He wrote into the seventies, okay. eighties. Um, but he's a contemporary with Asimov and Clark and Matheson and Le Guin and Heinlein. I mean, all of them. And he's just kind of the forgotten guy in the midst of this. He did win a couple of Hugo Awards, Nebula Awards. He has a couple of books that usually make the list of the great, you know, 50 or 100 science fiction novels of, of the century. But he's just not talked about in the same way. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm immensely familiar with him. He, he won three Hugo Awards and a Nebula, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to go back. So fast at your house. Um <laughs> The book I want to talk about is a book, his probably his best known book. It's called City. City was written in as a series of short stories, series of stories for a, a, a magazine in the early 40s through early 50s. And they were collected into a novel in 1952 and released in that form. And I have to say, one of the treasured possessions in my book collection is an original paperback novel from the 1952 first edition release of City. It's awesome. And no I will, way. I will only touch it with white gloves. I mean, it I'm is... impressed, dude. Is that the one I'm I, I'm remembering from Wikipedia uh, where it's got the black dog and the man standing? Is that the same one? Dude, that is awesome. Cool. Okay, pretty... I'm sorry. Please, please continue that. Ran across it at a, a thrift store for like two bucks. So I just. Wow. I anyway, so City is a collection of stories about and it starts with. Uh, humanity reaching a point where they are leaving the cities and going to live easy lives in the countryside. And you, it's important to remember he's writing post-World War II when the GIs come back from World War II, they're all going to college and they're beginning to move to the suburbs for okay. an easier life. So, you know, he's reflecting what's going on in the the time. It starts there. By the end of the last story, we have shifted thousands of years into the future where Earth is inhabited by dogs that have been uplifted uh, and humans and, and the dog philosophers debate whether or not humans ever really existed. Oh, wow. So there's this very long progression. Humans left the planet thousands of years before uh, the ones that remained were sent to a parallel universe, which is a whole other set of things that I don't want to get into. Because I want to get to the end of this. The last story is 5,000 years after everything else. So we have uh, dogs that have been uplifted. If we think about it that way, they can read, they can think, they can speak English. Um, they have developed robots to help them do the things that they can't do with their paws and whatever. Uh, other animals have also kind of been elevated. And the big conflict in the last story is that ants... Because let's just because the 40s were a wild time, let's just keep going. That ants have learned how to create civilizations that continue. So instead of them being wiped out every few months because of whatever, continuous civilizations. And the ant city 
is at a point where it's about to take over the world. Oh. So so the ant civilization is beginning to push on the dogs and the robots and the other animals. And so they're trying to figure out what to do. So they go to a group of robots because there is the legend of this robot that was around when people were around. So they go to this robot and ask him, his name is Jenkins, what, what should we do? And Jenkins tells them that there is still a human on earth who has been in suspended animation for thousands of years. And so he will go and wake this guy up and ask him what to do about the ants because the humans always knew what to do about ants. We're getting there. So he goes, <laughs> he, he wakes up the, the human and the human says, oh, it's easy. You just poison them. And you give them this poison that they'll take back to their colonies and then the poison spreads and you'll kill all the ants and that will solve your problem. And then the human says, can I go back to sleep now? The robot says yes. And he puts him back to spin animation. Off he goes. It creates a real complicated situation for the robot because killing is not a thing that happens anymore. Okay. Like even fleas, the dogs don't even kill fleas. Like it's, and it's a problem for them. So if I can read just a little bit of what he says towards the end of this, because c writes this just so incredibly well. There's been no killing for 5,000 years. The idea of killing has been swept from the mind of things, and it's better that way. Jenkins told himself, better that we should lose a world than go back to killing. And then he goes on to say that the dogs are going to be terribly disappointed when they find out that there's no way of dealing with the ants. So the robot decides he's not going to take the solution to the dogs because he doesn't want to be the snake in the garden. Gotcha. He doesn't want to be the one that opens up the possibility of taking the life of another thing. And the genius of this, and again, we, you know, we talk about that these guys were writing about things other than just dogs and ants and robots and whatever. You've got to remember that he's writing as World War II has ended, and we have just witnessed the absolute worst that humanity could be, yeah. right? The Holocaust and atomic bombs and all of these things that we've seen in the midst of this. And so CMAC demonstrates that humanity is problematic and that inhumanity is a, a thing, but that it's not necessary. It's It doesn't have to be this way. And so, you know, these these dogs who didn't have in them a history of killing, and, and I get it, you know, dogs do what they did, but the uplifted dogs don't have this history of killing things. It's been removed from society. And so the robot makes the decision that it would be better if they have to sacrifice everything they've known and go to another planet than to reintroduce the idea of taking the life of another creature. Uh, and, and, and that's where it ends. And it just shuts down there with a the dog saying, okay, well, I guess we have to move and off they go. Wow. Now I'm serious, man. You're really good at this. You should think about talking about books more often. That's <laughs> okay, holy crap. Ah, uh, so, okay. I do have, I have, I have a couple questions to ask you seriously questions. So, there were eight stories that were yep. published in Astounding Science Fiction under which under the editorship of John W. Campbell, yep. who goes there from the thing and stuff, yep. which I found was neat. Did you know that there was a ninth story published in 1973 and yes. has been in the editions? Okay. So when you're talking about the last thing, is that the last one from the ninth tale? No, that's the eighth tale. So that's that's a great question. It's the last one from the original 1952 edition. Do it is, 
it is amazing to know what was going on. Of course, it's important in all times, but what was going on in the author's lives, yeah. uh, not just personally, but in that the view of the world and how it affects these books. And if those things hadn't happened, what kind of books would we have now? Right. What kind of world would we have now? Uh, wow, dude, that is some great stuff. Jarvis the robot. I mean, sorry, Jenkins the robot. Jenkins, Jenkins yeah. yeah. I, it was, I was thinking that would be very cool if his name had been Jarvis. Or, and then borrowed later by other. Now it's, I, I love C-Mac. I've already said this, but I'm going to say it again. His work is, um, it's incredible. It's, it's brilliantly written, but it also gets into all of the things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, talking about violence and war here, but also he gets into gender politics. He gets into race. He gets into um, just so many different areas. And again, the stories never feel heavy handed. It's not like, oh, okay, I get it. You're talking about whatever. It really is. I think he's a great example of the way those authors were able to talk about what was going on in their world without um, really excluding anybody and, yes. and bringing conversations together. I'm, I'm looking on uh, the great God Google's website and there are some, uh, it, the goblin reservation, uh, time and time the werewolf principle hmm. time and time again is a fantastic book wow that's pretty cool well that's great and and now i've got somebody new to read there you go and he's got that stuff in the book yes i'm sitting here going through and it's got crap load so okay <clears throat> so i'm going to counter that with a book that i'm pretty positive you and many many listeners of this podcast have read or at least seen the book is called Red Dragon by Thomas Harris. Yep. And I love the incredible way that Thomas Harris strings together this book and about Will Graham, struggling FBI agent who has just recently gotten over his encounter, almost deadly encounter with uh uh Someone, <laughs> which, by the way, I I love the fact that this last book, his first book or book before that one was Black Sunday, you know, which and then you get this book, which has all of this stuff about Dr. Lecter, Hannibal Lecter. But it's it happened before, like it was in a book before. And so it just kind of and I love that sometimes it kind of drops you into this whole tapestry that you're already missed some of so you get to in your own mind fill in some slots but this book is about a killer who they call the tooth fairy which he doesn't want to be called the tooth fairy uh the first things that you have is that you're finding out that he is going into people's homes and he's killing them and he's doing them in such a way that you know the fbi is like oh, okay well we don't know what's going on so they bring him in anyway it's an it's, a, it's an immersive book you you really should read it but what i want to talk about is my second favorite ending of all books and in this book the the killer dollar hide has had some human feelings for a woman who is blind and he sees her talking to will graham and he his mind snaps back and the the red dragon which is all part of him with this huge tattoo comes back and he is going to kill her 
So then the book switches to her viewpoint and she's in the house and she's tied up. I don't think she's blindfolded, but there is um, this rant going on from him. And he says he's going to kill her with this shotgun. And he pours out, I guess it was like diesel or gasoline. And she's just freaking out because she had nothing but love for this guy. And now she sees he's a cuckoo. And right before he kills her, he can't do it. And he blows his head off. She manages to get out. The fire's going on. She goes over, finds his body. His top of his head's blown off. The shotgun's right there. And she manages to escape, I think with Will's help, at the very last moment. And the book ends. The guy is like, I mean, the story ends. The guy's killed himself. It's all over and done with. Graham <laughs> jumps forward a little while later. He and his family are recouping at a beach. He goes to fish, throws at the back, it catches in the bush, and out comes Dollar Hyde. And then you find out that he put another body in there and faked her death. But it was so well done that <laughs> there was zero chance in my head that he was not dead. And just surprised rise the bejesus out of me <laughs> and i absolutely loved it now have you you read this one yeah yep okay all right um the what was it called the red dragon and the the i forget what the painting was called and the great red something or another oh, it's been so but long anyway, yeah it's been so long but i love this and i love both adaptations of it um which you know would be an amazing idea for a podcast if we should Movie do that. yeah we should do that movie adaptations of books man i don't know i've never thought of that um, so what did you think about this ending? I, my immediate thought was somebody has watched a lot of slasher films. Oh, okay. Right. That, you know, no matter what has happened to Jason or Michael Myers or whomever, there is going to be another, right. They're going to find a way to to come back and uh, not in a cheap way. I it wasn't like, oh, well that could never happen. Right. Uh, but it really was. I remember that being the first thing I thought was this feels like the ending of or really the beginning of the next movie when somebody shows up that you thought was long gone. Mm -hmm. But you're right. It's set up in such a way that uh, it, it doesn't feel cheap. And to me, that's the thing. If if it feels cheap, then I'm out. I'm not interested. Right. But if it works in the context of the character, which I think this does, and and it's not simple, then I'm in. Right. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll accept it every time. I think the whole view shift was what was memorable for me. Now I've read some really great books. Uh, uh, John Sanford books, the, the rules of prey is an yep. excellent example. Yeah. Uh, he switches from viewpoints throughout the book and it's, it's very interesting. So this only really takes place this one time. And I think it was an excellent use of it. And it threw me just enough to not even question the fact because Dollar Hyde was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs <laughs> that he had done this. So yeah. that, that just, it stuck with me for a very long time. And when I saw that they were doing the remake of the movie, because I love the first one, even though it was very uh, Miami Vice, I, yeah. I thought they did it justice. So that's what I'll say. But okay. Anyway, having said that, I'm going to task you with one question before we go to your, your favorite Book in okay. ever. Ready. 
off the top of your head, what okay. is the your favorite book opening? Oh wow. Huh? Man, I my head is spinning. Describe mm-hmm. the first one. Um I th- I think and only because it again as the carousel's going, the one that grabbed me is uh, the Martian, Andy Weir's Martian. The okay. Martian. Um, because that opening scene of where everything goes off the rails and Watley gets left behind, you feel every bit of that. So the storm blows in, they're getting ready to go. Things happen very quickly. Suddenly he is, um, you know, knocked off and left behind and they think he's dead. And then all of that happens. And then he wakes up and this, and, and we're such a fantastic writer, the sense of isolation and the idea that I am trapped on Mars and nobody even knows it. Right. Is is incredible. Okay. So if I had more time to think, I'd probably come up, nope. I might come up with another, but I love that. That's what I wanted was one right off the top. Uh for me, I think I would say a very probably not very well known Star Trek book. They, they write tons of Star Trek books. So uh, there's one by Judy Eklar, I believe, that was called the Kobayashi Maru. And the book starts out where Kirk, um, Scotty, Sulu, and some other people are in a shuttlecraft that has been damaged beyond repair. And they are nowhere near to being found, no way for them to be picked up, and they're dying. And basically, they start telling their stories of when they all took the Kobayashi Maru test. So there's not a lot of buildup. There's nothing. It's like, basically, if I remember correctly, you open the book, and they're like, all things have gone to poo-poo. And what are they going to do? And those stories were so well done. Each one of them had to do, except Sulu's, which was interesting because it had very little to do with his actual Kobayashi Maru test than the story of his grandfather's passing, but they were so well-written. So I don't know if you've ever read that book. I know there's a ton of them. I, when I was a kid, I read all of them. Yeah. I had a stack as, as high as I was at one point. Wow. Okay. All right. So enough of that. I just wanted to throw you a curveball and see how you take yeah. it. Why don't you lay your absolute favorite all-time book ending on us, sir? So I mentioned that the end of Debt of Honor was the first thing that came to my mind just because of the shock value of it. And then I immediately thought of this one next, and it was easily my number one. So the book I want to talk about for a minute is called Life of Pi by Jan Martel, um, made into a fantastic movie that's very faithful to the book. Uh, Very quickly, a young man named Pi is um, on a boat with his family going from India to the United States with the zoo that his father had run um, because all the animals have been bought by a zoo in America. And so they are transporting the animals by ship to, to the U S and then something happens and the ship sinks. And so um, pretty quickly into it, you have Pi, the young man on a lifeboat with an orangutan, a hyena, a zebra and a tiger. Oh my. And very quickly, the hyena, the zebra, the orangutan are gone. And so most of the book is Pi spending 227 days at sea in the Pacific Ocean with a tiger on a lifeboat. 
and all of the things that he has to do to make sure that he's not eaten and dispatched by the tiger. And there's lots that goes on there. After 227 days, the lifeboat comes ashore on the coast of Mexico and the tiger slinks off into the jungle, never to be seen or heard from again. Mm -hmm. That's the book. Then we get to the end and this is what I love. So that's happened. The tiger walks off the beach um, Pi has been found. He's been rescued. You know, he's lost everything, but but he he still has his life. And then you turn the page, and it's these two Japanese businessmen who represent the shipping company whose boat went down, trying to find Pi in Mexico so they can interview him about what happened. Okay. It's suddenly this Abbott and Costello kind of things. These guys are clueless. They don't know how to navigate Mexico. Everything goes wrong. But eventually they get to Pi, and it, it happens very quickly. They get to Pi and they begin to ask him questions about what happened. And he tells the story of him on the boat with the orangutan, the hyena, the zebra, and the tiger. Oh, my. And the business guys, thank you, don't believe it at all. Okay. It, talking about that's impossible. And they get into like just picking apart these little things. And one of the things they pick apart is the idea that the orangutan gets to the lifeboat floating on a bunch of bananas. Okay. Like that can't happen because bananas don't float. And there's this whole back and forth where Pi wants to insist on showing them that bananas can float and they do. And so then the businessmen are like, oh, well, I guess they do float. And the conversation starts around we we believe the things that we've been told to believe and, and we don't question anything mm -hmm. else. And so he says, you're saying what happened to me is impossible because it's never happened before. But science was impossible. You know, all these things were impossible before we found out that they were possible. And they still won't accept his version of the story. And so he says, if I can read again, um, I know what you want. You want a story that won't surprise you, that will confirm what you already know, that won't make you see higher or further or differently. And the businessmen are like, yes, that's exactly what we want. <laughs> so Pi tells a different version very quickly of the story where... On the lifeboat, he's there with his mother, with a cook from the boat, and with a sailor from the boat. And goes through very quickly how the sailor dies, how his mother dies, how the cook dies, and how he then spends the next 227 days on the boat by himself. Okay. And and I, I don't want to get into, because that would be some spoilery stuff, but he he gets into all this. The, the men then have no idea what to do with that version of the story, because it's not what they want either. Okay. And they begin to draw connections between the different animals he talks about and the people. And um, and so Pi comes back to them and says, which is the better story? The story with the animals or the story without animals? And the men reply, the one with the animals. And Pi says, and so it goes with God. Setting up this idea of that the things that we know aren't all there is. Mm -hmm. And we we tell ourselves stories that are founded in what we can understand um, so that we can deal with the world and however we need to deal with it. And so I love the end of this book because, one, it does introduce ambiguity. You don't know which of those two stories is true. He could be making up the thing about the people. He could be making up the thing about the, the, the animals. Um, it's noteworthy that he doesn't mention a character that would be the tiger when he's talking about the people version of the lifeboat. Oh, Which, yeah, I was wondering. 
which leads you to believe. And part of the question is, is he the tiger as well as himself in, in that part of the story? Um, but the, the ambiguity and the surprise of it that creates these questions, but also I love it because this book could have ended with a tiger going off into the jungle and it would have been great. Right. But it introduces, and this is very much a Martell thing, it introduces this conversation about the nature of reality and what we know and how we know what we know and um, and, and even how our minds get changed about things because we're confronted with information we haven't had before. And, and one of the, the things that the businessmen get after him about, you tell this story about finding this floating island and all these crazy things happen, and nobody's seen that island before. And his response is, the ocean's a big place, and we haven't been everywhere in it. Right. So there is this possibility that all of this is really true. Um, but it, it just it it's brilliant because it emphasizes the strength of the stories that we tell ourselves and whether we tell ourselves those stories because it's what we believe or because it's what we have to have to cope with what's happened to us. Those stories are still real. And as a sociologist, one of the things I tell my students all the time is that reality is real for the perceiver. So whatever you think to be true is because you don't know any different. And part of the role then is to introduce difference to, to be, that's how we move forward. That's how we grow knowledge. That's how we, we change our minds about things. So that's a lot of philosophy and, and esoteric stuff about a book that really is mostly this guy and a boy on a lifeboat for a long time, but it's such a fantastic book, brilliantly written. The movie's beautifully done. Um, I, this is one that I can't recommend enough. Uh, but again, that ending just introduces this other element that, that takes it to that next level for me. I, I, I know, I know a joke a lot, but I seriously was waiting for you to tell me that as he's telling the story, the lion jumps out. I mean, the tiger jumps out and attacks them. I, I don't know why I thought that was coming. It would, yeah. Different kind of book. That so I had no idea. I've heard about this book. I even, oddly enough, have an autographed copy of this. My so wife like, used, yeah, my wife used to work in a bookstore. So we always had the line on, Hey, you can, you know, order this copy for $10 more and they'll give it to you autographed. Um, but I don't know now I kind of want to go and read it. It's, it's fantastic. It's so good. Wow. That's, that's really good. Wow. Thank you. Okay. Then well. It's not as good as mine, but still, it is a really good one. I'm I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> okay, so when you say Dean Koontz, people yep. automatically are thinking, oh, you know, he writes all these stupid horror books, and there's always, you know, all these weird things and whatnot. And and I won't lie, for the, the better part of my come up in years, I had read a few Dean Koontz, and yeah. They were okay. And then I came across a book called Odd Thomas. Odd Thomas is a masterpiece. That is one of about four, three or four books that whenever I'm at a used bookstore or whenever I'm in a garage sale and I find a copy, I buy it. Really? And anybody who hasn't read it, I give it to them. I had that one. I have... um the world war z is another you know amazing exactly. book yeah and so i read i started to read this book i don't remember why probably it was a cool cover because it was kind of like a a foil cobra and so it starts off with this guy whose actual name is odd and it was supposed to be todd but they 
And then you find out the Elvis is the, or the ghost of Elvis is hanging out with him. And he lives in this small town of Pico Mundo. He's never gone anywhere in his life. He's a fry cook. He doesn't want to do anything else, but be a fry cook. He's got these amazingly different friends. He's got this incredible love of his life. Stormy Daniels, not Daniels. Sorry. No, that's not right. He's got this amazing love of his life. Stormy who is stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Okay, I'm good. All right. <clears throat> he's got these amazing friends, and he's got the love of his life, Stormy, who is with him. But no matter what he does, the dead find him. And I try to explain the fact that he doesn't so much talk to the dead because they don't speak to him, but he communes with them. And through the series of the book, which takes place over a matter of just a couple of days, you find out that there are these things coming uh they're like ghouls or ghosts that other people can't see and you find that this this awesome house with this room in it where all these things are coming together and it's a time displacement all these amazing things that leads to the ending of the book where you find out that these these guys are planning a mass killing at a mall and it happens to be the mall where stormy works and so he figures it all out gets there disarms some explosives disarms uh, a, a one of the gunmen or maybe even two of them he doesn't like guns though so he doesn't use a gun and he ends up getting shot in the back but in an effort to save his girlfriend he perseveres on and goes through and then at the end of the book he wakes up he's in the hospital stormy is there with him he survived everybody wants to meet the hero but he doesn't won't meet anybody uh, then he gets released and goes to stay at Stormy's house with her. And all of this time, you know, their love is growing and he knows it's finally time for them to be able to, you know, go out and accept what's happened and, and maybe go in the world until finally his, his other friends come and, and man, it gets, it gets me that stuff. He's talking about it. <laughs> his friends arrive and make him accept the reality that, um, that Stormy actually died in the mall shooting. And she's been with him all along uh, to make sure that that he heals and is able to move on. And he's finally able to to release her so that she can go to the other side. And that hit me hard. That I did not see that he laid everything right there in front of us. There was never a word. It was never Stormy tells me or Stormy says it's Stormy does and Stormy is. And when I read that his friends showed up to tell him that, it just, man, the emotions just fled. And I will not lie, I cried again. It's right there in the fields. And ever since then, anybody who I think would enjoy a good book, I give them a copy. And I tell them it's not the same. But if you see the movie with Anton Yelchin, which has a whole nother vibe to it now that he's passed away, it's a, it's a powerful movie and it does it. It does it justice. It can't do it the same justice. Right. Right. But it does, does it justice. So. I, I love that book. I love that. Have you read the rest of them? Oh God. Yeah. I, I love that character. I love one of the things that's great about that book is the the amount of humor that's injected into it in really, really 
serious kinds of situations because of who odd is because the ghost of Elvis keeps showing up. <laughs> but yeah, the, the end of that. And it's, again, it's so beautifully done and it's so real to the world that has been created that that could happen. You know, if, if he didn't see ghosts, if he didn't have that kind of connection, then it would make no sense that she's just kind of hanging out until she floats away. But the, the surprise of it, because you're right, I I didn't see it coming. I didn't think for a second because the hero always wins, right? The hero saves right. the day. And and in this case, not in the way that he wanted. Um, that's a great pick. It's not as good as my pick, but that's a great pick. Oh, you're so wrong for that. You know, you know I'm so much better than you. I haven't are. read the other book yet. You gotta read <laughs> So I will say, as much as I loved the first, I think it was first two books, because you've got Odd Thomas, and then is it? I'm not what's the one? It. Yeah, he, he. I can't remember the one, but the one that he's in the monastery. I was not incredibly impressed, but the one that takes place at the burnout casino. Yep, that one spooked the hell out of me. Yep. Uh, and and you know, I will say it's harder because once, and of course, like we were talking about earlier, you have to expand the character and expand his universe. So eventually he has to go out into the world into other places the the saint odd i think i yeah yeah it was okay you know now i did have you ever read the the manga no uh yeah there's two of them i have those as well and those are interesting stories just to see them drawn as a comic book and then there are their own stories as well but um (laughs) wow Wow, some good stuff there. Man, I am telling you, this was a good list. Yeah. I'm I'm very impressed. You, again, I can't say it enough. This book thing, you should seriously consider following up on that. You know, from me to you. Yeah, I listen, I, I only take career advice from the Plastic Microphone Studios, so... <laughs> I will wow. say, if, if you're uh-huh. listening and you're into these kind of conversations, to plug real quick, my daughter and I do a monthly book chat where we basically do what we've just, what Jamie and I've just done without the endings. Uh, we bring guests <laughs> on, talk about books we love, and we go down rabbit holes, and it's it's a ton of fun. It's called Your Next Great Read, and it is part of the, the bookcast feed, but you can go to okiebookcast.com slash nextread. And we're getting ready to have our one-year anniversary of that show coming up in August. So there's 12 episodes that you can go back. And we talk about at least a dozen books in every episode. So if you can't find something to read out of there, you're not trying hard enough. Or we're not doing our job. I, I'm going to go with you're not, Junior. She's probably doing that. She's probably she's pulling the majority of it. Oh, yeah, she, yeah. Is, she's carrying the water. There's no doubt. But these aren't just Oklahoma books. These are anybody no, books. This is right. this is anything that we're into. So yeah, the the book cast focuses on Oklahoma books. But your next great read is just everything that we we love to read. Yeah, and I um I've already said I would love for her to come on the show. Uh, I just think she would probably be such a better guest. That's fair. Um, yeah, so um definitely better to look at. I'm just saying, you know. But uh, I mean, you are a handsome man. I'm not I gonna, that, that. that one with the cap on that's a good picture man i like that <laughs> so this would be the part of the show where i ask you what could we do next but i think we already know what we're going to do next and it's no surprise we are going to do our favorite book adaptations 
we are. onto the screen and we have again opened this up. Uh, it could be any novel or comic books. And it doesn't have to be what is the most faithful adaptation. Again, this is a show about favorites. So just be prepared to explain why it's a favorite. I'm not going to harp on, well, it didn't do this in the book and they didn't do this in the right. movie type right. thing. But it's just the feel that, yeah, this was a really great adaptation. They did a great job of it, and I enjoyed it because I think that's that'll be great. Man. All right. Sounds good. Well, I'd like to thank all of you out there in the podcast universe for joining us for this episode of Fave 5 from Fans. You can find us and more from the Plastic Microphone Studios wherever you catch your podcast. It would be an incredible help if you could consider leaving us a review and that all-important five-star rating. If you like the show, please consider telling a friend about us. And if you don't like the show, tell them about The Road from Karmic McCordy because that <laughs> will mess them up. <laughs> you can find our website on all the social... <laughs> <laughs> You can find us on our website and on all the social media places where all the cool caps hang out. And don't forget to look for our other show, Complete Disarray with Jamie Ray, where we take one topic and just ramble on and on and on about it. But um, but in a good way. It's just another product of the Plastic Microphone Studios. And keep your eyes and ears out for a huge, big announcement coming soon about a new show because no one demanded it. <laughs> and remember, folks, it may not be the best. It may not be the most popular. But if it's your favorite, then it's good enough for us. Thank you for joining us. Jason Hall, take us out. That's J to you. But uh, thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.